Well, we are beginning a new sermon series entitled Revive Us. Do some of you feel like maybe you could use a little reviving? I'm not sure. We can get caught up in the status quo and think we're doing just fine, uh, but we know that we can be a little bit forgetful. If we're forgetful, we could use some reviving in the way of reminding. Uh, sometimes we can grow a little dull. We, we know things, but we're just a little dull to them. And so we could use some reviving to become excited about things that we should be excited about. Uh, we, we, we want that kind of revival in our hearts and in Christ's church, and so that's why we're praying for the Lord to revive us. Now, to be clear, we're not asking the Lord to revive unbelievers. We're asking the Lord to resurrect them. We're asking the Lord to revive us. I want to make sure that you understand we're talking about us this morning. Uh, we don't want to deflect God's good word intended for our hearts to purify us and make us holy as he's holy on someone else because we think we're doing relatively good. I think I'm doing a little better than the next guy. And it's not good enough. That's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to look at ourselves and look at our need for the holiness of God and ask God to make us holy. I think that we shy away from this word holy. Let me give a little test. Do you... Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ ever describe yourself as holy people? Oh, no, that's, that's, that's too high, right? I'm not. I'm not. No. I mean, holy? Why not? If you're a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are holy and beloved of God. So why in the world wouldn't you tell people who you are? was because we have, the little, have a little aversion to this claim to holiness. And I think that's why we need to be revived in our holiness, really our pursuit of holiness in our lives. Yes, God has saved us to be holy. We talked about that in Ephesians. I won't, I won't re-preach Ephesians for you this morning, but God has saved us so that we would be his holy people. This, is, this has always been true. This has always been true. And it's easily discernible, even in the Old Testament, even under the Old Covenant, it's easily discernible in the book of Exodus. Think of Exodus, people enslaved in Israel. God comes and rescues them and brings them out. The book of Exodus can, can kind of be seen in two parts. This is helpful. Chapters 1 through 15 at the beginning of the book are all about the glorious salvation that God has provided. How did he do that? Through his Passover lamb, remember? They put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and they went inside their houses and the death angel passed over them so that they were saved from judgment and death by believing in the Passover lamb. So that's the, the first half, our glorious salvation, in the Passover lamb, and then the rest of the book, 16 to 40, are all about God calling his redeemed people then to live holy lives. That's what the whole second half of Exodus is about. You need to live holy lives as God's holy people. And how are they supposed to do that? By obeying God's word. The whole rest of the, of the book is God laying out, laying out his word so that they would obey it and be holy as God's holy. In fact, we get a nice little summary of that in Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 to 6, when God says to Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you up on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Okay, that's the salvation through the Passover lamb part. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession from among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So first, God rescues his people from bondage by his Passover lamb, who is, by the way, Jesus Christ. Then he calls them to live holy lives in chapter 19. And what does he provide them in the very next chapter, in chapter 20? What's in Exodus chapter 20? The Ten Commandments. So here, so here are my words for you to live by. His holy words by which they would live holy lives if they would obey it. That's always the trick, isn't it? If they would obey it. 
You see, it's always been God's purpose for his saved people to be his holy people. We see this in the New Testament as well. We just completed a study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which begins with these glorious words in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. For what purpose? That we should be holy and blameless before him. Wow. So even before the Exodus, see, because Paul's writing about before the Exodus, before the Exodus, before the world was created, God chose to save his people in Christ, the Passover lamb, with this purpose, for us to stand before him in holiness. And that's Paul speaking to the church. That's Paul speaking to the church today. Peter also speaks to the church to revive them in their pursuit of holiness. And Peter uses the same Old Testament language about holiness that was applied to the people of God in the Exodus, that is, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, and a treasured possession, and he applies it to the church. He applies it to us. And he begins in 1 Peter chapter 1, just a little bit ahead of our, a little bit ahead of our text this morning, but look at verses 3 to 5. He begins with a, a blessing of our glorious salvation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's kept in heaven for you who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter's following the pattern. First, Peter rejoices in Jesus, who is our Passover lamb, who rescued us from our bondage to sin and the penalty of death. And then, beginning later in verse 13, he he seeks to revive our calling to be holy as God is holy. That's our text this morning. That's where I want to start reading. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. These words from people, Peter, to revive the church in holiness. I'm going to read all the way through chapter 2, verse 10, just so you don't get antsy in the middle. This is the word of God. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly as from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of God, the word of the Lord, remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves live like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. 
Behold, I am laying a Zion, a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Well, Peter clearly says we're to be holy. He's clearly trying to get our attention and quicken our hearts and illumine our understanding that we're called to be holy and that we can be in Christ. So there's this old saying, you've probably heard it, like father, like son. Like father, like son. I mean, think about, think about, okay, think about they're on vacation right now. But uh, actually, it's a, it's a missions vacation. Zach and Hope have gone to visit Zach's brother on mission in Croatia. So we'll, we'll grant them a mission vacation. Uh, but their little boy Malachi, you look at Malachi with his little hair up here like this and his little smile, and you say, well, well which one does he look like? Does he look like mom or does he look like dad? Yeah, and, 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 you know, what's his personality like? Is he like his mom or is he like his dad? What are some of his mannerisms? He, kind of, he certainly looks like his family, doesn't he? Because we have been born again in Jesus the Son, we have been adopted as children of God, who is now our Father. So Peter exhorts us to be obedient children, brothers and sisters of one family who all resemble God, our Father. We're to resemble God in His holiness. And the first thing Peter does is to get us pointed in the right direction in verses 13 to 16. As God's children... We're not to look back, but we are to look forward. What we think and believe about the future determines how we'll live in the present. You've learned that, haven't you? What you believe and think about the future determines how you're going to live now in the present. And so Peter says, be gospel-minded. You are saved, so think like you're saved. You've received the grace of God to save you from all your past, so look ahead at the grace of God that he, your father, has promised to you to give to you when Christ returns even. He says, set or fix your thinking on the grace of God to make you holy and obey him. He's got us looking forward. He's got us looking forward to ever-increasing holiness in our lives. And then Peter reminds them, the church, that formerly... I mean, if you take just a quick look back in your lives, a quick look back in your lives, formerly, you were sinners. Ignorant of the holiness of God. And you behaved like it. Now, we come by that honestly. We inherit the sinful nature from our forefather, Adam. But through faith in the gospel, we're no longer children of the devil, but children of God. So we think differently now. We're sober-minded. Our thinking is gospel-clear and ready for action. What action? Well, we're ready to act in obedience to our Father. That action. God our Father has called us to be holy as He is holy. And so what does it mean to be holy? Well, the word most directly means to be set apart. God has taken something and he has set it apart from what it was a part of. It's, it's to be set apart. God is unique. He's holy. He's unique and distinct and other than his creation in nature and in character. You see, the, the call to holiness is not a call to deity. When you hear you're to be holy, it doesn't mean you're to be God. It doesn't mean you're to be deity. We're called in our human nature to bear the holy character of God. That's what we're to do. To conduct ourselves as God would conduct himself if he were to take on human form. 
What our Father calls us to strive for is the human righteousness demonstrated by Jesus Christ. God has set us apart to himself. We are no longer to be defined by our previous ignorance and unbelief. The words that Peter uses. We are no longer to be conformed to the customs and values of the fallen culture in which we live. We've been set apart from that to God in Christ and for holiness. And then Peter preaches this little sermon to fortify our confidence in our new identity as children of God in verses 17 to 21. Look at those verses again. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, so we do call upon him as father, and he is our father, and it turns out that our father's a judge. Our father's a pretty important man in the community. Our father's got quite a bit of power, and he knows what's right and he knows what's wrong. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of your exile. That's our life here on earth. We're to conduct ourselves well because our father knows what's right and wrong. And if he upholds that for the whole community, he's going to expect his children to uphold that as well. We're to behave like our father. We're to reflect the behavior of our father that we see in Christ. Knowing, this is the beautiful part, Knowing he's preparing our minds. That's what he said back in verse 13. Prepare your minds for action. Knowing that you were ransomed. You are no longer captive. You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Ransomed from those, and not with perishable things such as silver or gold. See, those are, those are things that can lose their value, can't they? Those are things that can lose their value. What if, in the, what if in the middle of my ransomness, the ransom runs out and more is required? I'm not really ransomed, am I? But we haven't been ransomed with perishable things, but with imperishable things. We've been ransomed by that Passover lamb who's without blemish or spot. We've been ransomed by the blood of Christ. And, and the lamb without blemish and spot is it's code words for holy. There's no stain, there's no blemish, he's pure. He's holy, our Passover lamb, Jesus. And he was known before the foundation of the world, verse 20. He was known before the foundation of the world, from before the beginning. But was made manifest in the last times, that's our times, when Jesus came to earth in the incarnation, for our sake. For the sake of you who through him are believers in God. So that your faith and hope are in God, who is, go back to the beginning, your Father. It is God who sent Christ for you to redeem you. It is God who raised Christ from the dead. It is God who brought his Son home to glory. And so, it is God who is your Father who has called you to be holy. So, verse 22 Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So... Put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the spiritual milk. Long for this word, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, I think verse 22 is, is a really helpful verse. I don't think many of us would apply Peter's words to ourselves. He says, you've purified yourselves. You've purified yourselves. Well, in what way? In what way have I purified myself? See, see, holiness is not a matter of effort, although it takes effort. Holiness is a matter of purity. Which makes total sense. How did they purify themselves in verse 22? By obeying God's truth. When we, you know this, when we disobey God's true word, we sin and we defile ourselves. 
But it's also true that when we obey God's word, we purify ourselves by doing what's right. We do all kinds of things that are right and good and true, but Peter goes straight to the greatest thing that comes from our obedience to the truth, the purity or holiness that comes to God's obedient children yields love for the brethren. The purity or holiness that comes to God's obedient children, those who hear and then do his word, yields love for one another. God's children love one another. They love who God loves. And these, are, these are like links of a golden chain that Peter connects in verse 22 because you have a holy father and obey his holy word. You are filled with his holy love with which you love God and you love one another. Think about those two statements. You love God and you love one another. Those are the two great commands of God. How more obedient can you be than to pursue holiness through obedience to God's word so that you become one who loves like God because you have been loved like God? Those two great commandments, obedience to those, always yield love. Love's written in the commandments. You're to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you're to love your neighbor as you love yourself. All these things being true, Peter says, so do it. Since you have love, love. Go love one another. Be holy as your Father is holy by conducting yourselves in love. How do you do that? Well, spend a little time with one another. Learn about one another. Understand one another. Not to have your needs met by the brothers and sisters, but so that you, like Jesus, can serve one another, can serve others. Help one another. Encourage one another. Do spiritual good to one another. You see, that's love from a pure heart. That's the fruit of obedience to God's word. That's the holiness of God on display then in the family of God, the church. When people come among the people of the church, they should say, my goodness, those people love one another. And you know what? That love kind of spilled over onto me. They seem to love me too. But it's not just some love. It's not just a a little love. It's not just a careful measure of love. Not just a little Sunday morning fellowship after the worship gathering. Most of you are very good at that. You have a sincere brotherly love. But Peter says take it further. Take it further. To display the love of God in the church, you need to love one another even more earnestly. More deeply, Peter says. If we're to love God with all our heart, and we are to do that. Then we are to love one another as we love ourselves, earnestly and from pure hearts. You can start to feel the weight of this holiness, can't you? You can start to feel the otherness of this holiness when it says that we're supposed to love earnestly and from pure hearts. So who's willing to love more earnestly? Who among us is ready to lead in pure-hearted love for one another? How can you do that in the church? Who's qualified to love in such a way? You. You are. And I am. Look at verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. This word is the good news that was preached to you. Love. Love. There's this quote about the grass uh, that uh, Peter takes from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 and 8 as an encouragement and an instruction to the people 
in Jerusalem in exile, Isaiah preaches the holy truth of God's eternal word to them. He says, the, word, the word's going to last. You're in exile. Everything's changed. Word of God remains the same so that they would have some hope. And here, Peter tells us that that very same word, that very same unchanging word, though everything else falls away, is the word that was preached to us, and it's the word that we believed. It's the gospel. It's the gospel of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that that gospel, it's like a seed. It's like a seed, and it's a seed of imperishability. It's not a seed of perishability. It's a seed of imperishability that God has planted deep within us. It's the living word of God by which we were born again. It's the enduring word of God that purifies us in our obedience. So it borns us again and then it grows us in obedience and holiness which produces love. It's the gospel that qualifies each and every one of us, to love each and every one of the others sincerely and earnestly from pure hearts. You, I, are qualified and called to love in that way. Because Dad said so. Kids, love in this way. Yes, Father. The way you love. Makes total sense. Makes total sense. And so very quickly, very quickly then, Peter gets practical about our pursuit of holiness. Here are some things we can do to live more earnestly. Well, that's helpful. Here are some places in our hearts that may need a little purifying through God's word. Verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2. He says, so, put away all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. And instead, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now Peter lists five things to put away and one thing to long for. And these five things to put away are, well, they're the, they're the passions of our former ignorance in the language of Peter back in verse 14 of chapter 1. And they hit home, don't they? They hit home, or they should hit home. Put away all malice. Put away all deceit. Put away all hypocrisy. Put away all envy. Put away all slander. You see, our love for one another is hindered by these impurities. Now here's the hard work of pursuing holiness that Peter has set before us. We've been called to look deep within our hearts and to scrub and scour away this evil graffiti that hates rather than loves. Malice is simply ill will. Is there anyone here in your church that you don't want things to go well for? You need to repent and purify your hearts so that you can love that brother or sister as God, your Father, loves them. Deceit is misrepresenting the truth. Do you think it's okay to not be honest with your brothers and sisters as long as it serves your purposes? You need to repent and purify your heart and be sanctified in the truth. God's word is truth. Do it now so you can worship God in truth. Hypocrisy is claiming moral standards while not following them. Are you hiding your sin instead of repenting of it? When people ask how you're doing in your walk with Christ, are you telling them you're fine when you're not? You need to be honest and discover the love of the brethren that's there to be had. There's helpful love and spiritual good to be done to you by the brothers and sisters in the church. Envy is the same as covetousness. Are you discontent with what you have and desiring what others have? And do you form your opinion about others based on your envy? You need to repent and purify your heart and be thankful 
to God for everything at all times. Slander is saying false or damaging things about another. Have you been in the habit of painting someone in just a bit of a bad light? A bit of an unfavorable view? Do you so want a brother or sister in the church to think well of you that you're willing to help them think poorly of someone else? I mean, how different is that from the behavior of the mockers at the foot of Christ's cross? You need to repent and purify your heart and speak well of your brothers and sisters. Why these five things? Two reasons, I think. First, because they're all relational. These are all relational. They all have to do with how we treat people. They all have to do with whether we're loving one another or not. Second, because as we consider them thoughtfully, one at a time, we who thought we were pretty relatively holy feel their stinging indictment that though we are justified, we are not yet completely sanctified. Isn't that right? They reveal to us that we are not living as earnestly, as sincerely, as we may have given ourselves credit for. Which is a beckoning to revive your holiness. Which is a good thing. You and I cannot deny that even in our happy little church, we still need to pray as David prayed in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Revive me, Father, in holiness. And having repented and put away these things, we're to crave the gospel word. Crave the gospel word. Look again at verses Two and three, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know, if, you've, if you've been around a baby when it's hungry, it does two things. It pushes away everything that it doesn't want. <laughs> it's just stiff arm. As we should do, <clears throat> malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And it longs for its mother's milk. Because mother's milk is tailor-made to supply everything that baby needs to grow. So Peter tells us to long for the spiritual nutrition of God's word. Drink it in. Obey it. And you will grow up into the salvation that has been given to you. Now that's an interesting thought. I mean, when we first come to saving faith in Christ, we're so happy and excited and amazed that our sins have been forgiven and there's a God who loves us and he did it through the sacrifice of his own son. 
We can't imagine it getting any better than that. And that's a lot to drink in and understand. But we'd be foolish to stop there. There is a lot more to understand. And Peter says there's so much more in our salvation in Christ to grow up into. And the main thing is holiness. Holiness. And I think it's helpful to note that the Bible talks about holiness in two ways. This is what Chris was getting after in our prayer and share time. There's a holiness that is perfect, and there's a holiness that is pursued. And I think these are helpful categories for us to think about. Because we know from Scripture that all who believe in Christ are already holy in God's eyes. And yet, Scripture speaks another way about holiness, that that there is a holiness that we're still becoming in our real lives. So how is that? Well, here are the two categories. There is a holiness that is perfect. It's the holiness of God, and it's the holiness that's given to us in Christ, by which we are justified. But there is also a holiness that's pursued. It's pursued. And as we pursue it, we please God our Father. Even though our holiness in this pursuit level is imperfect. It's inconsistent. It's flawed. But it still pleases God our Father. It's this pursued holiness that Peter's talking about here. It is by God's saving grace that we're made holy, and it's by God's transforming grace that we pursue holiness in our real lives. It's what we regularly refer to as our sanctification. We're being sanctified. We're becoming more like God. And so Peter says, grow up into what you already are. You've been made holy, now live holy. Live holy lives. You're... You're a chip off your old father's block. And our father's holy. And we're to be holy too. He says pursue God's holiness through obedience to his word. Could we receive a single simpler instruction, brothers and sisters? Obey God. That is, if you have tasted the word of God and found that it's good, Peter just kind of throws that out there. Sometimes we read that and go, oh no, have I tasted of of God's word, and, and, and is it good? Yes! Everybody answers that word, yes! He's, he's taken the word, he's called it spiritual milk, and then he says, have you tasted it? Isn't it good? Yes, it's good! That is, if you've tasted it and found it good, and the obvious answer is yes, it's very good, pure spiritual milk. The word of God is. It's what we should be drinking and eating. And that being the case, Peter tells us that in Christ the church is God's holy, set-apart people applying Old Testament language and imagery to us. Pick up in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves live like living stones are being built up is a spiritual house to be a spiritual holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And we know this from Scripture, Peter says, and so he cites it for us. Behold, I am laying a Zion, a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor's for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. And so Peter uses this imagery of the temple in the Old Testament to refer to the spiritual household of God, the church. And God's holy house, it must be a holy house for God to live in it because God is holy, is being built out of living stones. Jesus, Peter says, is a living stone. The resurrected Christ is alive forever and he gives life to all who believe in him. Yes, he's a living stone and so we who believe in him are also living stones like him. And God is building his spiritual house with all of these living stones. We are his workmanship being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we have to let 
let the construction language, God is building a house, give way to the relational reality, God is actually building his family. That's what Peter's describing. As God's spiritual household, the church becomes a priesthood offering worship to God. That's what priests do. And those two words, priest and sacrifice, stop for a minute. If I were just to say, if we were to do word association, here's Bible word association. Priest, sacrifice, you say, Jesus. My priest and my sacrifice. When we see those words, it's all pointed to Jesus, and that's exactly what Peter's focused on here. That's exactly what he's focused on. We are the living stones having been made alive in Christ. That's that's back to chapter 1, verse 3 language. And we have been brought near to God and brought near to one another in Christ. God carefully places each living stone carefully in its place based on his design for this family. It's really pretty intimate. It's really pretty personal. We're not talking about rock stones at all. We're talking about souls. As God's spiritual household, the church becomes a priesthood offering worship to God. Jesus, he is the cornerstone of God's household. God chose his precious son to be the cornerstone of his spiritual household. Jesus is the first stone put in place, fixed and immovable and true. He's the true stone by which all of the other stones set in place so that the household of God is plumb and square. You see, your life must be holy as Christ is holy in order for you to fit in the household of God. You must both receive his perfect holiness and then pursue his holiness in your real living as a born-again child of God. Have you been born again? The holiness that we're called to is necessary. It's not optional. The author of Hebrews says you must strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's necessary. You see, Jesus, the cornerstone of God, judges holiness. Peter uses three Old Testament passages about Jesus being the holy cornerstone of God and they all reflect his judgment. In Isaiah 28, 16, God fixes Jesus as his cornerstone in place so that all who trust in him would be holy as God is holy. And all who believe in him, Jesus has become precious to us as the source of our salvation. In Psalm 118, verse 22, we see that Jesus is the cornerstone that the builders, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, rejected and crucified on a Roman cross. They, while claiming to be holy, actually rejected the holiness of God to his face. They made the mistake of trusting in their religious actions in their stone temple while outside of the spiritual household of God and without being born again in a relationship with God in Christ. So in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14, Jesus is described as a stumbling block and a rock of offense. All who reject him stumble and they fall. And they remain in their former ignorance and their futile ways and they perish under the just and holy judgment of Christ. Same stone judges what is holy and what is not holy. You know, maybe, maybe you're not in need of revival but in need of being born again. Maybe. Maybe you're still living in the futile ways of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Maybe you're still looking at God through the lens of an impure heart. And right now you're rejecting him. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus and he will become your precious cornerstone. 
Place your trust in him and you'll, you'll never be put to shame. You'll never stumble and fall again. But don't reject him yet again. Don't stumble one more Sunday in a path of lifetimes of Sundays of rejecting the Savior. Not today. Come to him. Come into the presence of your Holy Father and live in his holy family. Verse 9, Peter concludes this section, but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mercy. Brothers and sisters, these words should revive our hearts. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that breathes new life into us. This is the good news that was preached to us, which we have believed. This is the living and abiding word of God by which, through which, we have been born again to a living hope. The church is God's chosen people. You know, he pulls these words, he pulls this imagery from Isaiah chapter 43. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 43 with me. <clears throat> Isaiah's trying to, he's prophesying what's yet to come in Christ to encourage a people in exile. Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Verse 18, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? It will make a way. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in a desert. The wild beasts will honor me the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. You see, it doesn't matter where you come from, Jew or Gentile, regardless of your tribe, tongue, color, or ethnicity, all who believe in Christ are God's chosen people. The church is God's royal priesthood and a holy nation. I read these verses earlier, but turn to Exodus chapter 19. Beginning in verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Each one of us has been set apart to serve God as priests served in the Old Testament. We worship. We worship our holy God. We bring an acceptable sacrifice, not for sin. Jesus is the once for all acceptable sacrifice for sin. We bring a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving and worship to our holy God. We receive and teach and nourish one another by the true words of God so that together we're built up. The church of God is built up in love. All of us together have been set apart from worldliness to live holy lives by the transforming grace of God, by his word, by his spirit. And the church, you, you, are God's treasured possession. Think of all the treasure in the world. Think of all the places you'd like to go. Think of all the sights you'd like to see. Think of all the mementos you'd like to bring home and consider your treasure. Oh, I, I cherish this one. It reminds me of something special. And God says, you're my treasured possession. 
as I hold you in my hands, I remember something special. That my son gave his life for you. And it was an acceptable sacrifice. And it changed you from being unholy and ungodly to being a child of God, pursuing holiness of God in the family of God. And he loves us. And what does the household of God do? We preach the gospel. That's what Peter says. We proclaim the excellencies of our Father. We proclaim the excellencies of our Father. He is the one who has called us out of darkness and into the marvelous, holy light of his Son, Jesus Christ. You see, holiness has a purpose. Holiness has a purpose. We've been saved to be made holy and to proclaim his holiness. We preach the gospel and its transforming power. And then the Holy Spirit goes to work. We're asking God to revive us in holiness. But the asking is predicated on our desire for his actual reviving. Do you want to be revived? Will you receive the revival of holiness in your heart that he desires to bring? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Well, then pursue his true word. Repent of your sin and be cleansed by the Spirit of God. And pray for the Lord to revive his church in holiness for the sake of Christ and for the cause of his gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have chosen to love us in Christ and that you have gathered us together to be your family. Father, this is all of your doing. Only a holy God would do this and only a loving God would do this and so Father we pray that you would make us your children holy and loving as you are holy and loving that the world might know the excellencies of your mercy it's our prayer in Christ's name Amen